distinctive of Christianity. All faith perspectives are not on equal terms. The resurrection is a historically verifiable fact. The evidence for it would stand up in a court of law. And when you're on the verge of doubting the veracity of our faith, look to the resurrection. I'm telling you, because he lives, no matter what else may be true and may befall us today, we can face tomorrow. We serve a risen Savior. Jesus is alive from death. He won victory over the last enemy, death. We have hope. The best is yet to come. He was the first fruits of resurrection from death. We will follow suit because we're in union by faith with him. We share in his death, his burial, and his... Yes, see, that's it. That is exactly right. Well, folks... Uh, this resurrected Savior is the theme of Old and New Testaments. In fact, seeing him in it is the key to unlocking its meaning. Wherever you read, look for Jesus. You'll find him in the text for tonight. We're in Romans chapter 6, uh, but only one verse tonight. Because it's, uh, I didn't have enough time over the last three and a half years. <laughs> since we've been in Romans. But it's such a power-packed verse. Everyone here, I'll bet you, is familiar with it. It's part of what we refer to as uh, the Roman road. And this one is Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 23. And it's so power-packed. It's so striking. It's so powerful. It alone has the potential, even entrusted to one such as you and I, in the power of God's Spirit, it alone has the potential to move someone from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. I wish you would pay attention to this first, memorize it, meditate on it, and say, oh God, give me a chance to share its truth with someone, even this week. I want to show you how you may do it, and so... Uh, Zach Nicholson, if you're not doing anything, could you, could you come up here just for a few minutes? And this is Zach, and he's a wonderful guy. And uh, I kind of roped him into this. Zach, stay down there if you don't mind. We're going to be informal. I'll give you this. Uh, come over here just for a second. Um, can, can you just sit over here? I don't want to stand next to you because you're just a tad bit taller, and it makes me feel uh, inferior. Uh, have you ever wanted to be an actor? Yes. Good, good, because there's, there's Jack Nicholson, and we'll have <laughs> Zach Nicholson. You see what I mean? And here's what I want you to do. I want to give you a role, Zach, and it's the role of an unsaved person. And I know, thank God, that that's not you. There's much Correct. fruit to dispel that. But I want you to enter once again into the skin of someone still yet apart from Christ, uh, you're still familiar with their thinking and their mindset and all the rest. And we're going to do a little role play. We've not rehearsed this in any way, shape, or form because I wanted us to be genuine about this. And I want you to see how easy it is for you to Roman, use Romans 6.23 as God gives an opportunity. You could lead someone to Christ just with the truths of that particular verse. So I'm just going to begin, and you, you get into your role as an unsaved person. Let's assume a friendship has been established. There's some basis of relationship, and so I'm not entering into your life out of a context. There's a context, and I say to you, Zach, I'm wondering, have you ever thought about sin? And if so, what, what is, what is, how would you define it? What is that to you? Well, I heard you mention that one time before. Uh, I don't really understand what sin means. I'm not from a religious background. I understand that we've made mistakes. Um, I believe that there might be a God. But 
I don't really understand what sin is, to be honest yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, have you heard of the Ten Commandments? Yes. You've heard of those. Uh, do you remember any one in particular, one or two, that they st- stand out in your mind? Uh, you should not steal. Ah, Zach, be honest with me. Have you ever taken something that's not yours? Yes. Yeah, so that makes you a thief. But it was small. Yeah, it, does, it makes you, it makes you a, a stupid thief. <laughs> but a thief nonetheless. So, uh... I'm going to stay and roll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know any other of the commandments? So far, we've established that you're, you're a thief. Do you remember any of the others? No. Okay, well, let me, let me, okay, but I think you actually implied one of them, thou shalt not lie, you see? So, so not only are you a thief, you're a lying thief, um, and uh, have you ever, let me ask you a question, have you ever desired something or someone not legitimately yours? Yes. You, you have coveted, you're a covetous, lustful, lying thief. I'm your friend. We're friends. Yeah. So we have evidences of sin. Those are evidences of sin. Okay. Uh, thinking, speaking, or behaving in a way contrary to what God wants. So even if you didn't mean to do these things? Intent is irrelevant. Okay. By this definition, are you willing to accept the fact that you are a sinner? Yes. Do you mind if I hear you just confess that? I'm a sinner. Yeah, I agree with you. There's evidence for it. If you are a sinner, and if you have sinned against God, as we've established, uh, do you think there's a penalty that's going to follow your sin? I don't know. That was the stealing thing. That was a long time ago. Yeah, but God remembers. (laughs) So nice try. I don't know. I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, I'll bet you are in comparison to most people. But how are you in comparison to God's holiness? Mm, not good. Yeah, exactly. You fall short, don't you? Yes. Of his standards quite a bit. So uh, he, do you think he's neutral about people breaking his law? No, I don't. I, I think if he gave a law, he expects people to keep it. He expe- and if they don't, what do you imagine the consequence might be? I don't know. Maybe he'll make something bad happen to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I share with you what the Bible says about this very question? Sure. It says, for the wages of sin, you're employed, are you not? Not right now. Oh, you need to be. (laughs) Yes. Okay. If you were to be a worker employed, it would be your expectation and your due to receive wages. Yes. So listen to this Bible verse. It makes really... Good sense. It's saying in the same sense in which a worker deserves wages, a sinner deserves this consequence. For the wages of sin is death. Hmm. That's the consequence. And you know what death does? It separates, does it not? Have you ever uh, grieved the loss of a friend or loved one? Yes. Part of the grief is due to the fact that you don't see that, but you're separated. Right, right. When the Bible speaks of death, it's speaking of that very thing, physical death. Our dying physically is one of the results of sin. But there's something So else. we die because of sin. Yes, that's okay. exactly right. Uh, but there's something else. It's a spiritual death. Hmm. Remember, all death is separation. And God, who is spirit, is one we are separated from because of our sin. 
Uh, Zach, do you believe that God is the source of all good things? Yes. But if you're separated from him, can you see that you can't have those good things that he wants? I can. So this is the consequence of the sin you admitted you have committed. Uh, for the wages of sin is death. Wouldn't it be great if there was an option, an alternative, a way out? Yes. Can you think of one? Um, well, I try to live my life right. Yeah, uh, that's really good. But that's not going to work, is it? Because as good as you try to be, are you good enough to live up to God's standards? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. So listen to this. The same verse I shared with you. For the wages of sin is death. And then it says, but. And that just opens up a world of possibilities. It shows us there's a way out of death. But the free gift what do you have to do to receive a gift? Nothing. That's it. it wouldn't be a gift if you had to do something to get it, would it? That's right. But the, but the free gift of God, it says, is eternal life. Zach, you're faced with two alternatives in terms of your eternity. One is eternal death, forever separation from God, who you said is the source of all good things. But the other, much better option, is to be eternally alive with him, the source of all good things. Well, how do, you, how do you have that life? I am really glad you asked that. Because the rest of the verse says, listen, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Now, this is really important. Listen, in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah. Well, I go to church. Yeah, uh, I, and, and that's, that's really a good thing. But that's not what we're talking about. You see, that verse says, the vehicle by which eternal life comes to us is not church attendance, not being a good person as you say you seek to be, not turning over a good leaf. Eternal life is encompassed in a relationship with a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Wow. So I ask you this, has there ever been a time in your life when you've established a relationship with Jesus Christ, the source of the eternal life I think you're interested in. I don't think so. Well, well, Zach, your sin has made a separation, as we've spoken, between you and God. The consequences are death, spiritual and physical. But God's given us the, the alternative of eternal life through faith. That means trusting that what Jesus did and said is true faith in Jesus Christ. Would you allow me to speak to God? That's called prayer on your behalf first. And then I'm going to invite you, if you're ready and you would like to, to say, God, I've sinned because I am a sinner. I'm sorry for it. And I want to turn from it. The Bible calls that confession and repentance. That means a change of direction. And then you say, oh, God, I want to turn from my sin to you, Jesus, as my Savior from sin and the one who is the source of eternal life. Is that okay with you? Can I begin? So you're saying if I, if I do this, that's what it means to be in Christ and have life. That is exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. Are, are you married, Zach? I am. Yes. And uh, there came a time when an invitation 
be married was, I assume, made by you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you waited for your beautiful wife to accept, uh, I, I'm sure with great anticipation. Yes. And her mere acceptance of your invitation ushered the two of you into an entirely new relationship. And that's how it is when you invite, when you accept the invitation of the Lord Jesus to be related to him as your Savior. I accept that invitation. Well, let's pray now. Okay, we're going to stop. Thank you, Zach. Folks, do you see what we just did? Hey, thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. As a souvenir, you can take that microphone. Um, I'm glad uh, Zach wasn't harder on me. But listen, let's say a person is. Let's say people bring up things. What about the people who've never heard of the Lord? What about the Bible? It's filled with errors. What about evil in the world? You say, this is what you say during this kind of conference. You say, those are really great questions. And we'll get to them. But right now, I'm really concerned about you and your response to this unbelievable, overwhelming opportunity to be a recipient of eternal life. And, and you say to that person, with all due respect, I don't want to offend you. I don't think you're really that interested in the aborigine in Australia at this time. I don't think you're really interested in solving the problems of evil in the world, and I don't really think you even know the Bible enough to point out its discrepancies. I think what you do know is that you're apart from a holy God. We need to start there. That's what the Bible calls sin. So you want to stay to the gospel. You want to stay to the gospel. Because once a person is redeemed, your evidence, a lot of these questions don't matter, do they? I don't have answers to all these things, but it doesn't matter. I know the Lord Jesus Christ, so do you, and I trust him, even though I don't fully comprehend his ways. Folks, I want to challenge you to listen as we uh, continue to look just to, to that verse tonight, Romans 6, 23. All along, I want you to say, oh God, would you give me the astounding privilege of being in conversation with somebody so that I could share uh, if not word by word, at least uh, the truth contained in Romans 6.23. And would you give me the privilege of leading someone, think about it, from death to life. I think God wants to bless us, his kids, with that amazing privilege. He could use angels to get it done, but instead he uses us because he loves us. Have you been used of God lately in an evangelistic enterprise? You're really missing out on a great, great blessing. So pay attention to Romans 6.23. I think that's all you need to be an effective evangelist. Here we go, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Wow, what an interesting way Paul begins. See the word wages? It's actually a, a term taken from the army. It's a military term. It's a reference to the pay due a conscripted soldier, but not monetary. The word actually means food. <laughs> because if a soldier did not receive monetary compensation, he was paid in food. And that's what the word wages means. It's interesting that Paul would use in a military analogy, very fitting, because I don't know if you knew that, but we're in a war. We're in the midst of a spiritual war, and the two warring parties are Satan versus Savior, and you belong to one or the other. One has his hold on you or the other. One is your master or the other. So it's a military term, and Paul uses it in this context. The wages, the food, the payment in nourishment that is received 
by the evil one when we succumb to his temptation and sin is death. In other words, the food we devour at the point of temptation and sin initially tastes good, but then we find out it's poisonous. For crying out loud, it's toxic. Folks, this was a bad week for Christians falling into sin. Uh, uh, in close proximity to one another, two men of notoriety committed acts of sexual immorality, and it's been publicized. Maybe you're familiar. Um, one is a pastor in Florida, and another is a politician in Louisiana, both professing Christ. And I have no reason to doubt that either is a born-again believer. And both, uh, one was caught on film in a very compromised position with uh, a woman who was not his wife. And the other confessed before his congregation just a few days ago that he had committed uh, an act of sexual immorality and now he has stepped down uh, from his church of thousands and thousands. It's a different denomination, I know you're curious. I don't want to uh, even though this is in the public domain, my point is, 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 is you grieve, you, 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 you grieve. Uh, but also this week, I got a call from a friend I haven't seen in years. Uh, the last time we were together was in England. I was a missionary in England uh, a million years ago, and it seems like. And, and uh, I was a missionary to American military personnel with a group called the Navigators. And I... Uh, I had the privilege of winning some guys to Christ, and then I was discipling them in a Bible study. And we would meet together, and in the military, you have to play it tough. If guys were not prepared for their lesson when they came for Bible study, I would dismiss them. I would send them home. A guy told me one time, if you want to attract men, you have to play a man's game. So if a guy didn't take Bible study in my time seriously, I didn't take him seriously. And we gave his seat up to someone else. That's just the way it is. Now, we couldn't get away with doing that over here. It's not politically correct. I've softened up. But anyway, that's the way you do it in the military. Uh, anyway, guys would come. And the fellow who called me was one of the guys. And there was another guy. He was an officer, a captain, uh, a tremendous athlete. In fact, he was a, a, a football player at Stanford University years ago. His father was a general in the military. I remember visiting his BOQ, we call it bachelor officer quarters. There was no room in it for anything because it was filled with golf clubs, bowling balls. This guy was major Mr. Athlete. That was his life. He looked like a, a rock, you know, just a, just a wonderful guy. Well, I was called by a mutual friend, another guy in our Bible study in England, uh, just two, three days ago who said, uh, uh, Ted passed away. He was in his 60s, about my age. He passed away, Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh, my goodness. It just took the air out of me. A, a wife, two beautiful daughters. And... So all these events have been juxtaposed together. The two incidents of sexual immorality by Christians and the, the homegoing by a third Christian. And I ask myself uh, this question. All of these events uh, have in common the fact that they, they impact on the friends and families of the key parties. Which one do you think impacts in a more tragic way, in a more destructive and deleterious way, in a more um, overwhelming way? Which one do you think has greater negative impact uh, of the two? The acts of sexual immorality 
or uh, passing on and going home to be in the Lord's presence? Well, I think I know how you'd answer. It's how I would answer. We, we grieve. The family grieves the absence of their uh, the lady's husband and, and the girl's father and uh, a churchman and a friend and a co-worker and all the rest. I got that. I understand that. And that grieving is legitimate and normal and it, and it, ought, it ought to go unchecked. A person has a right to grieve their loss. But, but I think the devastation experienced by the wives of the two men who broke their vows who committed acts of unfaithfulness. I think those acts uh, have, ha, have a more tragic effect. I, 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 think, I, I think the wife of the person who's deceased and went home to be with the Lord will go through the stages of grief and with support and helps, she, she'll make it, she'll get over it. And she's already praising God that her husband's body is now healthy and well in the presence of a resurrected Savior, But you tell me, what do the wives, the children, and the church people of Christian leaders who have fallen into morality, what do they look to? What do they grasp onto for hope and, and, and for a positive outlook? How are they going to make it? I'm telling you, it's absolutely, it's absolutely, I'm not looking down on anyone, but for God's grace, it's me and it's you. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I got that. I got that. I'm not preaching down at anybody. I, 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 I'm, I'm just saying the wages of sin is death. It's a dying in the church of thousands of hope and of faith. And how many are going to be caused to stumble? If the key player in the game is disqualified, why should anyone show up for the game? The effects, the ramifications. What's going through the life of the wife? It's not just a a death in the sense of the absence of a husband. It's death of hope. It's death of self-image, self-concept, self-worth, a sense of femininity, sense of attractiveness. And I don't know for how long she'll be asking the question, what was wrong with me? What was wrong with me? Why didn't he find in me satisfaction of his needs? I know she'll get counsel and good Christians will rally behind her, both of these ladies, and help and all the rest and Try to reason. I understand all this. But that struggle is much deeper, devastating. And frankly, the prognosis is not nearly as good as getting over the passing of a loved one who you know is with the resurrected Lord Jesus. Look, folks, the wages of sin is death. Here's the deal. As a worker deserves a salary, a sinner deserves death. Sinners are in a long line, each one awaiting the death penalty. That's the way it is. Today you have an outcry. I want what I deserve. Here it is. The wages of sin is death. And it separates horribly. Charles Haddon Spurgeon has an illustration about a cruel dictator, a king who summoned one of his subjects and demanded from him to know what his occupation was. And the man said, I'm a blacksmith. And the king said, okay, leave and fashion for me a chain, a long chain of such and such measurement. And the fearful subject went out and dutifully did what the cruel king required of him and brought it back thinking he would receive a word of a confirmation and affirmation. But instead he said, I see it, but I want you to leave now and Make it twice as long and do not come back to me until you've accomplished the task. The blacksmith went out and 
fashioned a chain twice as long now, came back to the king thinking this will settle it, he'll be dismissed. And the king repeated the same thing, make it twice as long, leave me. Well, anyway, this repeated itself uh, numerous times. And then finally the king said to some of his other subjects, take the chain that man fashioned and now wrap him in it and toss him into a fiery furnace. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, and that's what sin does to us. Sin is like that cruel king. It tangles us up and exacts a terrible price. Here it is. The wages of sin is death. Listen, I'll tell you what sin is. Zach, I didn't do so, so good when you were here, but I had a chance to think about it. I think that fundamentally sin is a quest for independence from God. I think that's what it is. Now, it manifests in different ways, like we spoke about uh, uh, thievery and lying and coveting and all the rest. But fundamentally, sin is a quest to be free of God, to be autonomous, because none of us want to depend on God. We don't want to ask, what would Jesus do? We want to determine what we want to do, and then we want the freedom to do it. None of us want to be beholden to anyone. We want to be masters of our own destiny. Fundamentally, that's what sin is. Here's the payoff for a quest for independence from God. Death. Separation from all that matters and from all that's meaningful. Separation from eternal bliss. Separation. That's, that's what it is. The pleasures of sin, don't you agree, are simply not adequate compensation for what the consequence of sin is. I'm telling you folks, serving Satan, sin, self, is not worth it. Yet we do it, which means we're sinners, hopeless. But, and that's the next word in the verse, I love that three-letter word. The wages of sin is death. If there was a period attached, we are without hope. But there's no period. For the wages of sin is death, but who? And now a hopeful expectation is being birthed in our lives. We can hardly wait to read on. Oh my goodness, you mean there's an alternative to death? I know I'm a sinner. There's no alternative to that. But is there an alternative to the consequence of my sin? Yeah. But the free gift of God is eternal life. But wait, something's wrong. There must be a misprint, a misspelling. See, it says the wages of sin is death. So we ought now to read, but the wages of obedience is life. But it doesn't say that. It says the wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's what you don't deserve. Oh, my goodness. What a distinction. What a contrast. Wages on the one hand. Free gift on the other. Wages, that's your due. Free gift, you don't deserve that. Why does it say eternal life is a gift of God? It's because there's nothing we could do. Nothing we could do to merit it. As Zach was speaking about, I love the way he did it, but I attend church, good for you, not good enough. But I try to be a good person, good, not good enough. Why? For all have sinned and fall 
short of the glory of God. It has to be a gift or we could never receive eternal life. There's nothing we could do to merit heaven, but we've done plenty to merit hell. There's nothing we could do to merit eternal life. It can only be ours as a free gift from God. You know what it does? It keeps those of us who are heirs of eternal life, it keeps us from doing that, this. I'm better. You know what it does since it's a gift? It makes us fall to our knees, not just now, throughout eternity. That's what we'll be doing and saying, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for saving my soul. It doesn't produce boastfulness. It's a gift. You don't boast about a gift you undeservedly received. You praise and thank the giver. That's why eternal life has to be a free gift. We can't lord it over anybody else, but for his grace, we would be without it. We're recipients of a gift. If we had to do one measly old little thing in order to be saved, it would cease, salvation would cease then to be a gift. It's either all of Jesus or it's not the salvation of the Bible. Yeah, see, see, see. By the way, see the word gift? The Greek word is charisma. Isn't that a good word, charisma? You've heard of it? Charisma, like charismatic gift, charisma. And the word charisma is also the source of the word grace. Gift and grace, same thing. So here's the deal. Eternal death is something we deserve, but eternal life is something we do not deserve. It comes by God's grace. Charisma, gift. How then do we come to be in possession of it? Zach asked that question. Oh, my goodness. When an unsaved person asks you something like that, that's when you go, oh, my goodness, I'm shaking. I'm so excited. Don't let me blow it. How do you come to be in possession of this gift? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is encapsulated in a person, not a program, not dogma, not a denomination, not church membership, not baptism, nothing, nothing. It is encapsulated in a person. A person comes bearing the gift of eternal life. What's more, that person is the gift of eternal life. For to know thee is to have eternal life. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. Death is the wage a person earns by what he has done. But eternal life is the gift a person could receive because of what Christ has done. Servants of sin get what they deserve. Servants of Christ get what they don't deserve. So you know what this one verse shows us? It shows us two masters, sin or savior, which at present is your master. I don't know is not an acceptable answer. You do. Sin or Savior, which is your master? This verse not only shows us two masters, it shows us two conditions. Wages or free gift. And this verse furthermore shows us two results. Either eternal death 
or eternal life. I want to ask you to make application from this one powerful verse uh, this way. First, would you be willing to pray, as I indicated earlier, that God would give you a chance to share Romans 6.23 conversationally with somebody you are in contact with perhaps already. It could be a neighbor. You could say, we've been neighbors for a long time. There's something I've never asked you. I'm just curious. You might find this odd. I could explain. I'm just curious. Um, what do you think about sin? What, well, how would you define it? Just start with the outline of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin. And if a person is stumbling over sin, I'm not the worst person in the world, ask them to respond to one or two or three of the commandments, which none of us have perfectly obeyed, and then call it what it is. That is sin. And then say, do you think sin carries a consequence? And dialogue about that. Say, can I share with you what the Bible says? And say, the consequence of sin is death. In fact, it says the wages of sin is death. And then say, wouldn't it be great if there was an alternative and that person talks and you say, there is. Let me tell you what the Bible says. It says that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life. You've spoken with that person about death and how it separates from the giver of life, the source of all good things. And now you talk about how that could all be reversed and nullified if, in fact, eternal life replaced eternal death. And then you say, would it be great to be an heir of eternal life rather than a recipient of eternal dying? Would you like to know how that could be yours? And that person says yes or no, whatever it is. And you say, whatever it is, let me just share with you how this happens. But the free gift of God is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you explain to that person what it means to be in Christ. You could use marriage as an analogy. You can talk about an invitation, a proposal, an acceptance of it, and how the relationship now has been inaugurated, established. It has changed lives, and we're invited to be wedded to Almighty God who has suffered and died in our place for our sin and then risen up from death so that if we ask him, he'll come and take up his abode in our life and change us from the inside out. So I want to challenge you. I'm challenging me too. I want to be better at doing the work of an evangelist. It doesn't take knowing someone for years and years. It doesn't take a thorough knowledge in Greek and Hebrew. Romans 623. Uh, used by the Spirit of God through you, a man or woman of God, <laughs> uh, deposited in the heart and mind of someone who at this point doesn't yet know God, is enough to move them from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. So that's the first application. Will you take Romans 6.23? Can you remember? I bet you have it memorized already. Say it with me. For the wages of sin is death. But... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at you, you fanatics. You already have it. That's all you need. And you could have a harvest of souls, one, from darkness to light. God can use you. And you talk about a rich joy. Ask him to do that. Second application. This is a little weird. Uh, as I was studying this text, 
I'm ashamed to tell you that I, I missed, I think, what it's really saying. I always thought its primary intention was evangelistic. Primary. Romans 6.23. I thought it's meant primarily to share with unsaved people that they might be saved. And that's true. But that's actually not the primary intent of this verse. How do I know that? By looking to the audience Paul in this chapter is speaking to. He's not speaking to unsaved people. He's speaking to those already saved. So, if you recall what we spoke about in the past, when we were last in Romans, if you back up to verses 5 and 6, it says, For if we, we, not they, we, have become united with him, those are believers, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified. This is not speaking to unsaved people. This is speaking to Christians. Was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. The whole context is Paul speaking to believers. So I thought to myself, what then is the primary application. It's not evangelistic. It's discipleship. What does this mean? You know what Paul is saying to believers like you and I struggling with sin in the process of sanctification, being more like Christ, but stumbling and falling? He's saying, please remember what harvest you reaped when you gave in to sin. Believer, do you remember that the wages of your sin was death? Do you see what it produced? It wasn't pleasant at all. It was poisonous. It was disruptive. Please remember, believer, that's not you anymore. You don't serve that master anymore. Your master is the Lord Jesus. And by the way, have you forgotten you are already an heir of eternal life given to you as a gift because of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So Paul says in verse 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to believers in Romans 6.23, you used to be alive to sin and dead to Christ. Now reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's what he's saying here. And by the way, if you think that's a fine point, tell that to the two guys whose lives will never be the same who submitted to the old master that no longer has authority over them. They put themselves into tempting situations and felt they were obligated to succumb to it instead of running from it. They gave authority back to the cruel taskmaster sin even though they're dead to it. They've been crucified with Christ, united with him in his death burial and resurrection. He's birthed new life and power in their lives for crying out loud. They shouldn't have gotten that close to temptation, by the way. That's a subject for another day. But even at that point, they should have looked it in the eye and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for I am no longer yours. I belong to the Lord Jesus. And now I see the application. Oh, sure, I want to run with it and lead someone to the Lord with Romans 6.23. But this very verse, which can move 
a sinner from darkness to light and from death to life can move a saint from temptation to holiness and obedience. Folks, be moved by Romans 6.23 to remember who you are. I'm no longer under the domain of darkness. This body of death have died to it for crying out loud. Oh, I still have the proclivity to, to sin, but it is now a foe to be faced. It's not a master to be subjected to anymore. It's a totally different thing. Please remember, by virtue of Romans 6.23, who you are, whose you are. I'm not to give this body of sin. Sin used to operate in the atmosphere of this physical body. I'm not to give its members, its parts to sin. I am Christ. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember what's true of you. You are an heir of eternal life as a free gift. Folks, we're going down too easily without even a fight. No temptation has overcome us, but that which is common. And with it, what has God done? Provided the way of escape. What's a man doing after hours with lights turned down, alone in an office with a woman who's not his wife? You tell me. God had provided the way of escape. Leave early. Turn up the lights. Hire a male secretary for crying out loud instead of one with a short skirt for crying out loud. Sanctified common sense. Folks, we will not lose that which has been given to us as a gift because we never came into possession of it by any good thing in us. It's called eternal security. But we can sure lose the joy of salvation. We can sure lose a vibrant testimony. We can sure lose an opportunity to bear fruit for Jesus Christ through sin. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's pleasurable for a season. And then like the chain in Spurgeon's illustration, it leads to our demise in a fiery furnace. You know what our job is? Live up to what's already true of us. Remember who you are. Child of the king. Chosen person. Holy nation. Royal priesthood. People set aside for God's own possession. Heir of eternal life. I don't need to sell my soul for a mess of pottage that the world has to offer when I'm an heir uh, of eternal life. Romans 6.23, two applications. Take it to an unsaved person and take it to heart as a saved person. And this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Why do we want to do these things? It's because you live.